Well, welcome to New Life Church. Uh, my name is Travis, and I'm the campus pastor here at New Life, and I uh, am very glad that you are here this morning. Most of the time, we are working our way through a book of the Bible, and so uh, in the summers, we work our way through the book of Psalms, and then uh, in the fall, we will be returning to the book of Matthew and be working our way through the book of Matthew, but right now we're taking a short mini-series to talk uh, about what is New Life Church about. Who are we? What are we about? And so we have these little booklets. They're uh, available on the resource table. You can grab one on your way out if you don't yet have one, but they they look like this, and they talk a little bit about uh, who we are, what our mission is, and and what our values are, and what our structure is. And uh, on this page, about halfway through, you can see a little diagram of our structure. That is that uh, you have a big church with little churches inside, And then you have the church itself, the congregation, and then you have a group of individuals that are meeting together, and then you have the individual disciple. And this is how we see the structure of our church. New Life Church is a multi-site church. We have uh, multiple congregations now uh, in Wilsonville, Westland, Gladstone, and Oregon City. And uh, we are composed of congregations that make up that church, right? We are uh, having local bodies, local uh, assemblies of God's people uh, in those places, and so that's the congregation. And those are made up of life groups. We have uh, life groups that we hope that every person who participates in New Life Church will have opportunity to participate in a life group as well to encourage us in our individual discipleship, right? So that's sort of the, the quick structure of our church. And so we've been talking about the first week was the gospel. That is everything that we do is based on the good news that Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sin and rose again from the dead. Everything is based on that. Then there's the one church. So we had an all-church service last week uh, where all of the congregations met together at a park in Oregon City and uh, talked about what does it mean for us to be one church in many locations. And then today we are going to be focusing on uh, what does it mean for us to be a congregation? What, what are we about as a congregation? And so I want to give you um, seven characteristics of a Christ-following congregation. Okay? These are characteristics that uh, I hope characterize New Life Church as we seek to be a Christ-following congregation. It could mark other churches. We are by no means unique, thankfully. We are not the only place that is following Jesus. Uh, And these are not all of the characteristics of a Christ-following church. Notably, you'll notice that uh, as we go through that prayer and worship and evangelism are not mentioned here. Okay, which is surprising because those are big ones. But I do feel like even so, Ephesians chapter uh, 4 is going to give us seven characteristics of a Christ-following congregation that will give us the heart of what does it mean to be a Christ-following congregation. So if you'd turn with me, we're going to be in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body to grow, so that it builds itself up in love. This is the heart of what a gathering of God's people does. This is what a congregation of God's people does. We encourage one another in the power of the Holy Spirit to grow in our understanding and love for Christ and to grow in looking more and more like Him. That's what the the congregation does, and that's what I think we're going to see here As you look, Paul starts off, right? Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's writing to them and to encourage them. And in fact, in in chapter 1, he told them how encouraged he was to hear of them and of their faith. And he told them, I'm praying for you. I am praying for you. He said in in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, he said, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. But Paul is praying for them that, that they would, uh, because he's encouraged to hear of their faith, and now he's praying for them that they would continue to grow and continue to grow in faith, right? That they would understand better and better and better what it means for Jesus to have died for my sins and to have cleansed me of my sins so that I might be one of God's people. He said, I, I am just praying for you that day after day as a group, your knowledge of God and of His salvation would just grow more and more and more and more. And so now, in Ephesians chapter 4, he's writing to them and he's reminding them, I'm a prisoner right now and so I can't be with you, but I just want to encourage you. I want to urge you, he says in chapter 4. I want to urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Jesus Christ has made a calling to you. He has summoned you. He has said, come, come to me. Come out of sin. 
Come out of darkness. Come over here to my kingdom of light. Come and follow me. Come follow me. Come be one of my disciples. Learn my ways and be blessed by me. Come, come. And he says, so now, as those who have been called by God to follow Jesus, walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling. So now he's going to describe for them that as a group, this is what it should look like. For those of you who have been called to follow Jesus, this is what it should look like for you to follow him. And the first characteristic that I want to talk about is the character, character of the individual. The character of the individual that, that is humility. He, this is what he says. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Those are the characteristics of the disciples of Jesus. Those are the characteristics of the individuals who are following Jesus. Now, when I look at this, I go, wait a second. That's what you want? Don't you want me to be like some gifted musician who's singing your praises? Don't you want to be like some powerful speaker with great words and being very verbose, with powerful arts of persuasion to encourage other people to worship you and to come and follow you? Don't you want me to have like strength? No. No. The characteristics of somebody who is following Jesus, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. That's what it means to follow Jesus, is to have those characteristics. And so when I stop and I read that list and I'm expecting something different, right? Because I would, I'm not, but I'd like to be a high performer. I'm one of those type B people that dreams of being type A, right? I, I, I daydream about getting lots of stuff done and being one of those high-performing people. But instead, I, I don't do that. But I think that's what it should be, right? Lots of pressure to perform, to do well, to really accomplish something. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me, and what that means is I want you to be humble and gentle and patient and loving. That's what it means for us to follow Jesus. Not great wisdom, not great knowledge, not great influence, not brilliance, not great abilities or skills, but humble, gentle compassion for others, recognizing that we need Jesus, right? Jesus did not come and select us because of how great we were. He didn't look at us and go, wow, you are amazing. I would love to have you on my team. Come join my team, right? He didn't recruit us like a five-star athlete or even a three-star or two-star athlete. He said, you're pathetic, and we said, yeah, I know, I am pathetic. I want you on my team. Come join me. Come join me. 
And so in all humility, we recognize our need for him, that we are not sufficient, not adequate to please him, and yet he loves us and calls us and brings us into his kingdom. And so then we act the same way. Because we recognize with humility that we do not deserve to be in God's presence, then we act with humility and patience and kindness toward others who are feeling the same way. And you talk with somebody that is in the congregation around you and they're like, I do not deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be loved. I don't deserve to be accepted by God. I know. Me too. And I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that we are here together. And it's really easy when I say it like that way, when I'm feeling really humble and like I don't deserve to be in God's presence and they also are feeling really humble. But the other times that we have to be humble and gentle and bear with people is when they're being kind of rude. And when they're doing things that kind of irk me, how come they're doing it that way? That's not the way that they should do it. And so then I get kind of complainy in my mind, and then I get a little complainy in my voice. And this is a reminder from Paul to the church at Ephesus that is a valuable lesson for all of us, that one of the characteristics of a congregation of people who are following Christ is that they will be a people who are humble and compassionate and patient. And so at those times when I get kind of complaining in my mind and then complaining in my voice because somebody is irritating me, whether they're in my family or in the congregation, Paul says, I want to urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ. I want to urge you to be patient. I want to urge you to be humble. I want to urge you to be loving and gentle. with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. The first characteristic of a Christ-following congregation is that the people are humble. The second is that the congregation has unity. Eager, it says in verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. A mark of a healthy Christ-following church is unity. Not that they would all be exactly the same. Not that they all agree about everything right? But that there is unity. We are in this together. We're coming together in, in a common footing for a common purpose, and we're going to do it together. Even if you irk me sometimes, even if I annoy you sometimes, even if we don't always agree and we have to wrestle through things, we recognize that we are united together. I've seen this uh, even on the elder board, right? The elders will get together and we'll talk about things and we'll talk about what the church is doing and what the church needs to do and sometimes we grumble at each other. Nope, I don't agree with you. I'm kind of annoyed about this. Well, I'm kind of annoyed about that and we wrestle back and forth. But we recognize that our purpose is the same. Our purpose is to lead and care for and shepherd God's people into His presence. 
That's what we're trying to do together. We disagree sometimes about how that ought to be done and whether or not we're doing a good job at it. But we recognize that that is our purpose and that we're united in that. And because of that, we can have disagreements and we can wrestle through things. And I respect those guys enough that there have been times when I have been adamant, this is what we need to do. And the other elders have gone, no, you're wrong. And I have had to receive that correction and say, oh, I, I don't know if I agree with you, but you seem convinced and so we're going to go along with what you're saying. And that turned out to be a pretty good idea. And there have been other times when I've gotten, no, guys, really and truly, and we wrestle through it, and we come up with a common idea of what we're going to do as the next step, and maybe everybody's on board initially, and maybe not, but we are united and we're working together. And that's what we see in the congregation. A healthy congregation is united. They're not all going to agree on everything. We are not all uniform, but we are united. We have a common purpose. We have a common Savior. We have a common goal. And so we are united with one another. In fact, he's going to base this unity on something, which is the next characteristic, that is the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And he's going to take several verses to describe this. So in verses 4 through 10, he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is one. How could we as individuals each be following Christ and not be united? How could that be? Is God different? Is your God different than my God? Are we following the same Savior? Have we come in the same way? Through the same faith? Yeah, that's the only way that you get into the kingdom of heaven, is to believe. To believe that God sent His Son, Jesus, to become a man, to walk the earth, to demonstrate His deity, to die on the cross for our sins, so that we might be saved from our sins and then rise again from the dead, conquering sin and death. We all believe that. That's what makes us Christ followers, Christians. And if we all come in through that one door, then we have all come in together. Nobody got in on merit. Nobody came in through the back door or the side door or dropped in through the roof, Mission Impossible style. The only way you get in is through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if we all come in the same way, then we must be united. Because we are all connected to the one God and Father of all. There is one body, one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. And so anyone who is a Christ follower is in the church of God. Everyone who is a Christ follower is in the church of God. This is a local expression. This congregation is a local expression of that, of the body of Christ working together. But we recognize that all believers everywhere are all a part of this one church. Isn't that awesome? 
Isn't that awesome? That anybody, anywhere in the world, however much you may think you are like them or not like them, whatever you may agree or disagree with them about, you are united with them and are all a part of the one church of God. The one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led, host, led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? That is, that Jesus ascended into heaven and gave us all the gift of the Holy Spirit, which expresses its gifts in us and through us in different ways. We all have the same Holy Spirit, but He expresses Himself through us in different ways. And this Jesus who has now ascended into heaven had to first descend to the earth to walk with us and be with us. And so now that He has gone into heaven and has given us His Holy Spirit, it says that He has given us now these, some of these gifts. And this is another characteristic of churches that follow Christ, which is leadership, verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, is this an exhaustive list of leaders in the church? Do we care for this purpose about defining each one of them and differentiating them from one another? No. All I care about for this morning is that God has given these roles to the, uh, to the church. There are leaders provided to the church, those who are sent, the apostles, those who speak truth, the prophets, those who uh, ex- explain the gospel to those who don't not yet know it, the evangelists, the shepherds, those who care for people, and teachers, those who instruct people. These gifts were given for the church, right? And what are they given for? Uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Okay, so a Christ-following congregation is going to have leaders who are doing this work. They are equipping the saints for the work of ministry, which means another characteristic is that you are going to have those who are doing the work of ministry. Right? A church, a congregation is not a place where we come and come in, go out again. Right? Christ followers follow Christ and serve. They do the work of ministry. The role of the leaders is to equip and encourage them in that work. If you come here on Sunday morning and you expect that, well, that guy, he's the one up front, he's the one that does the work, that's not right. The work that I am to do as one of the leaders of the church is to equip and enable you to do the work of ministry. I am a mediocre worker. I do mediocre work. I have been in the church long enough that I can do most ministries and have at some time or another. And when there are gaps, I am happy to step in and do it. But that's not what I'm called to do. 
What I'm called to do is equip others to do the same, to equip others to do the ministry. A couple of years ago, I was um, the PTA president at my kid's school. I was a mediocre president. And when I was done being the president, I talked with the, my uh, successor, who was becoming president, and they were really nervous. And they said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I said, I'll tell you what, I will help you. Because I'm an okay president, but I'm a much better coach. I'm a much better coach. I will be happy to encourage you if you have questions about what needs to be done or when to do things. I am happy to help you by coaching you. And you know what? They came through and they were a better president than I was. And I was able to just encourage and support and help. And it's what I love to do. It's what I love to do. It's what the leaders of the church are called to do, to equip so that everyone is doing the ministry together. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So the, the, the congregation is all working and serving to build up the body of Christ. And when there is a need, the leaders go, hey, how can I help encourage and equip you? How can I help encourage and equip you? So I want to say, if you have an idea for a ministry that you would like to do, but you don't know how to do it, I would love to talk with you. I'd love to talk with you. It's what I delight to do. It's what I delight to do. I delight to encourage people and help people solve things. I, I don't know why God has gifted me this way, but I, I have meetings really well. Some people don't like meetings. I love meetings. I love planning. I love thinking about strategy. I love thinking about vision and talking with people about how can we do this? This is the vision for what we want to do. How do we get that done? And I love to do those things. And so if you have some kind of ministry in mind, maybe it's something that we're already doing that you want to participate in, but you don't know how, talk with me. If you have an idea about a ministry that you'd like to start, but you don't know where to begin, talk with me. Talk with me. Because one of the things that I love to see is the way that the body interacts with one another and the growth over time, right? I've been here for a little while, and I've seen over the years as people who came in and they went, I don't know what it means to be part of a church. And then they went, oh, I understand what it means to be a part of a, a, a life group, and so they get involved in the life group. And then they say, oh, well, I would like to serve somewhere, and then they start serving in little ways, and then they start serving in bigger ways. And pretty soon, you see as they move their way through, and they're serving in various capacities, and after a while, you go, wait a second, I remember when they came to this church, they didn't have a clue, not a clue. No idea how to participate in the community of the church. No idea where they might serve. And now look at what they are doing for the building up of the body of Christ. That's awesome. And I want to recognize that this is what we're going for, right? Okay, so we are equipping the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until, this is verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God 
to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's verse 13. One of the marks of a healthy Christ-following congregation is that they are growing in understanding and maturity. That's what the work of ministry is. That's what the work of ministry is. It's that we would be growing in our understanding of who God is and how we relate to Him. That we would be growing in Christ-likeness. That we would be growing in humility and gentleness and patience and love. That's the work of the ministry, is helping one another grow in that way. There will be times that serving in ministry is taking out trash. There will be times that doing the work of ministry is cleaning behind the refrigerator in the kitchen or making coffee, or setting up tables, or taking down tables. But all of those things, all of those ministries are to serve and enable the body to grow in this way. If we are just doing those things, if we're just bringing cookies on Sunday morning and cleaning up afterwards, and we're not growing in the understanding of who God is, if we're not growing into maturity until we all attain to Uh, what is it, all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, if we are not doing that, then that's not actual ministry, right? The reason that we provide, uh, that, that you generously bring cookies and we make coffee for Sunday mornings is to enable people to uh, fellowship better, Right? It creates an environment where we can spend time after the service getting to know one another, praying with one another, talking with one another, encouraging one another. That's why we do it. It's because if we just ended the service and turned off the lights, the signal would be, get out, show's over. And we don't want it that, to be that way. We want to encourage you to hang out for as long as possible. That you would hang out and get to know each other, encourage one another, and pray with one another. That that we would be growing in maturity together and encouraging one another as we grow in Christ-likeness until we all attain the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what we're going for. That's what every ministry is designed to do whether it's serving with kids or whether it's serving up front on Sunday morning or in a life group, all of them are to help us to grow in maturity in Christ. So that, it says, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Because the alternative to our growing in wisdom and knowledge and understanding of who God is and full maturity in Christ, the alternative to that is that we would be deceived and led astray. Look, look, look at all these different words that he uses here. So we may no longer be like children who are tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness in deceitful schemes that we wouldn't be led astray by things, that we wouldn't be mixed up about stuff, 
And sometimes those craftiness and deceits come in and they start, you hear it on the radio and then it, or read it in a book and you bring it into the church and you're like, hey, I was reading this thing and it's really exciting about how Jesus wants me to have my best life now. And somebody comes alongside you and goes, actually, um, in the Christian life, we expect to suffer and he will walk us through it. We don't always expect to have our best life now. And we have those kinds of corrections and things that happen in the church because it works its way in. Or sometimes it might work its way in in the idea that, you know what, I as a Christ follower am supposed to serve. And so my identity gets all wrapped up in my serving. And somebody has to come alongside and help correct and say, you know, I see your identity being wrapped up in your serving. And I want you to know that we appreciate your serving, but God doesn't need your serving. God doesn't need your serving. That's not where your identity is. Your greatness or lousiness at serving is not your identity. Your identity is in Christ. Your identity is in Jesus. We need those corrections. We need the, the people walking alongside us to help give us those corrections because otherwise we're going down the wrong path. We're being led astray. Has there been a time in your life that you have worked on something and been so frustrated because you couldn't get it done? You, you worked on it and 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 you were like, I just can't get this right. I can't get it right. And then you had somebody walk alongside you and go, that's because you're doing it wrong. And you feel two emotions at the same time. The one, great frustration, because somebody is telling you that you're doing it wrong. And the second emotion is great relief. Because finally, you might be able to do it the right way. I think that there are times at which, in the congregation of Jesus, because we recognize we're supposed to be humble and gentle and patient with one another, we think that therefore we shouldn't correct. Well, I will be patient and I won't correct them. Or we feel like they shouldn't correct us. When in reality, what we want is to be correcting one another, to be supporting and encouraging one another by helping people move from doing it wrong to getting it right. Especially in terms of identity, right? In terms of understanding who God is. When we're going down the wrong path, it is so good to have people alongside us to encourage us and explain to us how it is actually supposed to go. I have, um, they say that if you spend 10,000 hours working on something, uh, you become an expert in that thing. And I have um, five growing musicians in my house, and so the thing that I have been an, become an expert at is hearing what's wrong with their practicing. Because I'm confident that we are well over 10,000 hours of practicing music in my house. And there are times at which it is helpful as the parent to shout from the other room, that's not the right note. And there are times 
when it is unhelpful as the parent to shout from the other room, that's not the right note. And it's important to be able to distinguish when it's the right time and when it's the wrong time. When it's the right time to shout it from the other room and when it's the right time to go, I need to go into the other room and encourage. And what I'm asking for you is to help with me to build these skills together so that when we see each other walking in a relationship with God, we can go, that's not the right note, in a really gentle, humble way. In a really gentle, humble way. So that we might all grow in our understanding of who He is. And finally, that we might grow in maturity. Verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body to grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is what we want for all of us together is that speaking the truth in love, we will all be growing together up into Christ-likeness. To, to be like Him who is the head of the church. The one from whom we all receive um, all of the nourishment and everything we need. That's what it says, verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body to grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so I just want to ask, as somebody who is participating in this congregation, what would you like to do to help build this congregation up? Do you want to follow Christ? Do you want to follow Him in Christ-likeness? We cannot do that on our own. We are all brought into Christ to be brought into His church, right? Not this church, His church, Church Global. It doesn't have to be this church, but this is a local expression of His church. And as individuals who are following Christ, we must participate in a congregation of His church. It's not always going to be beautiful. It's definitely not going to be perfect. Not this side of eternity. We will get to practice patience and gentleness. But how can we do that? What can we do to engage and encourage? And here's, here's I'm going to give you a freebie. I mean, There are going to be, uh, uh, on the back table, on your way out, there are ministries that you can sign up to find out more information about it or sign up if you want to help or, or that sort of thing. But I'm going to give you a, a, a freebie that, I, that everyone can do this, okay? I would love to see a practice where you find two or three people every week in this congregation or in your neighborhood or elsewhere that you come up to them and you say, how can I pray for you this week? How can I pray for you this week? Because if we are a congregation that is marked by that alone, 
complete dependence on the Holy Spirit and each coming up to others and saying, how can I pray for you that, this week and not just wait, right? How can I pray for you this week? Well, I have this thing that I'd like prayer for. Great, be praying. Walk away, right? No. How can I pray for you this week? Then I want you to pray with them right there and commit to praying for them at least one other time that week. Okay? But if we are depending on the Holy Spirit in that way, and we are praying for one another, supporting one another, I promise you, we will be growing in Christ-likeness as a church. And it's something that everybody can do. Every body part, joint, ligament, everything, as we are growing together, we can do this. Jesus calls us to this. He calls us to this. Come, come, come join my congregation. Come join my church. Come participate in my body. And he sends us out to bring others in. This is his commission at the end of the book of Matthew, right before he ascended into heaven, Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to go, and He's calling us to come. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, would you cause us to follow you? Call us. Send your Holy Spirit to change and transform us. Would you grow and mature us into the likeness of Christ? Lord, I pray for each individual here that they might know your love and your presence. And I pray for this congregation as a whole that as each one grows in knowledge and understanding of who you are, that this whole body would grow in maturity and love. That we might be marked by these characteristics until we all attain the fullness of the maturity of Christ. And Lord, we ask for your grace and your help in this. And we give you all of the praise and glory that is due your name. According to Jesus' name, amen.